I love that word right there. Uh, I saw that at Lowe's a couple years ago and said, man, I'd love to buy that. And then after Christmas, it was still there, and they had marked it down 75%. I said, we're getting it. And uh, Because one of my favorite carols of all time is joy to the world. You cannot sing that song with a frown on your face. It, it just exudes joy, and, ex- and you can't sing it quietly. You've got to sing it with gusto, joy to the world. But what I didn't know is when that song was written by Isaac Watts, it was not written as a Christmas carol. It was written as a Sunday hymn. He was, he was writing hymns based on the Psalms of David, and he took Psalm 98 and put it in prose, and uh, other people touched up a little bit and added some things to it, but it became one of the most classic Christmas songs, which is great. The sad thing is we don't sing it the rest of the year. But it's a message of, about joy, which I think strikes at the, the heart of the Christmas story, because we need joy just as much as we need things like hope and love in order to have a fulfilling, satisfying life. I want to talk to you about this subject today because many of you come today lacking joy. It it seems to have been sapped from you. And it doesn't help that oftentimes you hear that that you can have joy and not be happy, as if happiness is something that's very worldly, it's based on happenings, and that joy is something we as Christians experience that is much deeper and lasting, and though we're not happy... We're joyful. And it seems, it seems like a contradiction of, of, of the two. And we've separated making happiness tied to happenings and making them sound like they're, they're very unspiritual. When in the Bible, those words actually are used together with other words like gladness and delight, rejoicing. They're, they're all actually used together, side by side sometimes. And in Webster's Dictionary... The definition of joy says this in its first definition, a feeling of great happiness. And to tie happiness to happenings is wrong anyway, because I know we say things like, I'll be happy when I get my Christmas gift. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when they have grandkids. I'll be happy when I get over this illness. I'll be happy with whatever event, when I win the lottery. But, but studies have shown that people are not happier when those things happen. And we actually have a culture that's very affluent and very prosperous and in many ways ought to be extremely happy, and they're not. And we can go into cultures where people are very poor and don't have a lot and are dealing with all kinds of obstacles, and they have great happiness. So happiness is not tied to happenings. Did you know this, that children laugh about 400 times a day? I mean, if you hang around kids, they just... Joy exudes. We have a little grandbaby that's real tiny. I mean, she, he's getting bigger. He's got big arms, big legs, but he's, he's little. I can put him in my hand like a football. And he loves to smile, and he's learning to giggle, and it's so cute. And I watched our, our four-and-a-half-year-old the other day listen to a, a song on The Greatest Showman, and he had to get out of his seat and start dancing to the song. I mean, that's what kids do. You've got to express joy. It'll come out in, in laughter. It'll come out in dancing. It'll come out in singing. Do you know how many times a day that adults laugh? Fifteen. Fifteen. What happened to us? We've lost the joy that we once had. And I know that, that things can happen in life. One of the reasons we lose the joy is life gets serious. I've got bills to pay. I've got conflicts to resolve. I've got pressures to handle. I've got hurts that have, that have wounded me. And I'm not really happy right now. There's others of us that have been told this lie that there's another kind of happiness 
a high that you can experience if you just take this drug, if you can just smoke this weed, if you can just look at this pornography, if you can have this illicit sexual experience. And so we, we do thrill-seeking adventures. And for the moment, there's this racy feeling that's real high, but you cannot sustain that emotionally or physically. And it doesn't help that the church comes along and people tell us that God wants you to be holy but not happy. You need to be walking with God, and sometimes it's not very pleasant. I mean, you pick up your cross and you follow him, and it's not a very happy experience. But I want to take you back to the Christmas story. Actually, just a a verse from the Christmas story. When the angels came to see the shepherds, the angels said this, and the angels said to them, Luke 2.10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Good news of great joy, not just a little bit of joy, great joy for everybody. God wants you to be happy. It's true. He wants you to be happy. Yet some of you are saying, oh, pastor, I don't know. You're kind of going overboard with this. You're going you're to go very, very worldly by talking about this happiness thing, that, that I, I, I want to be joyful, this deep contentment with the Lord. But if we're too happy, we're, we're probably unspiritual. But I want to tell you, they actually... They actually blend together this devotion to God and happiness. Do you know that Jesus was criticized for being too happy? Man, he must be a drunkard and glutton because he's hanging around all these, all these uh, sinners and he's having too much fun. But shouldn't we have fun in a relationship with the Lord? See, God himself is both holy and happy. He's both holy and happy. God has serious things to deal with. He's judging nations. He's, he's raising up kings. He's, he's doing all sorts of things in the world, very serious things that God does. And yet the Bible says that he is different than anybody else. He's holy. And therefore, we should be holy. We should be separate from the, the rest of the world. We should be devoted to him, like him. But do you know that the Bible also commands us to be happy? I, I could quote a lot of verses. You can look them up yourself, especially in the Psalms, where we are commanded to rejoice and be glad. Commanded to rejoice and be glad. God, God's putting together this idea of, of being holy, separate for him, and happiness. God is a happy God. Paul even described him that way. When he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. That title, the blessed God. Do you know what the word blessed mean, means? Think of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. You know what that word blessed means? Happy. Happy. It, it actually literally means, in the Greek, um, happy or fortunate. Happy or fortunate are the pure in heart. Happy and fortunate are, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy is God. The blessed God, the happy God. See, I think we've got this mentality that God can't be happy because he's so serious with all the things. He's listening to everybody's prayer. He's, he's bringing storms. He's rescuing people. He's saving the lost. Oh, my goodness. He's a serious God, and he is serious. But he's a happy, happy God. Get this picture in your head that, that God, God is full of joy. In fact, when Nehemiah had rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem, and then Ezra came along, and they read the law, people realized how far they'd fallen from their faith. And they began to weep, saying, oh, man, we've really blown it. We have just disappointed God. And um, Nehemiah pauses and says, do not be grieved. 
For the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The Lord's joy will be your strength. The joy that God possesses will be what strengthens you in this time. Do you think of God as a joyful God? Nehemiah knew him as a joyful God. Even though he had serious things to do, he's a joyful God. And Jesus is a joyful person. People um, were attracted to Jesus. People aren't drawn to... to, uh, The masses are not drawn to negative people. When you look at kids in particular, they are not drawn to grumpy people. They're they're drawn to happy people. Yet, Yet the children love to be around Jesus. The... Far away people, the, the sinful people, love to be around Jesus. And here's what it says in Hebrews, that Jesus was different than all the angels. Jesus was actually different than all other people who have ever lived. Because uh, the writer of Hebrews makes this statement about Jesus, found in the very first chapter. God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Meaning, Jesus, you've been given more joy than any other human being that's ever lived. You have, a, you have a tremendous joy, this oil of gladness. That's yours, Jesus. And so Jesus carried out his ministry with joy. Now, we don't get the details. We don't find Jesus in Scripture laughing with his disciples. We don't, we don't find Jesus telling jokes. But I have to believe this oil of gladness just, just oozed from him. He was full of joy. In fact, we do learn later in Hebrews why Jesus went to the cross. In chapter 12, verse, um, verse 2, it says, we're to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. It's not pleasant to go to a cross. So, so where does the joy come in? What would come after the cross? Your salvation, my salvation. The joy set before him. It's a lot like a woman who's pregnant. Does she look forward to the day of delivery? Well, yes and no. No, she's not looking forward to the pain. She's not looking forward to the hours that she may be in labor. She looks forward to what happens after that. It's the joy after that. The joy set before her. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. See, joy can carry you through all kinds of things. Joy can propel you through life. You can indeed be holy, devoted to God, and happy because God is both. And that's why his message to us is a message of great joy. Not just a little bit of joy, but loads of it. Continual, inexpressible joy. Joy beyond any other pleasure. It's a joy that makes you happy. See, when the angels spoke to the shepherds, it actually is taking us back to a promise in the book of Isaiah. In in Isaiah, the prophet said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Good news, not of great joy, but Isaiah said of happiness. Well, they're the same thing. Joy and happiness are saying they're the same thing. God wants you to have pleasure. God wants you to be happy with life. Yesterday I was journaling, and I have to confess, every now and then when I journal, I just kind of have this conversation with God about what's going on inside, and I confess, God, I don't know why, but for many years I've just felt this feeling at Christmas that I don't feel extra excited about this. I know, I know people are singing and there's stuff happening in the stores, all kinds of sales and decorations and food and parties. And I said, I don't feel, I just don't feel like I've got this over-the-top joy over Christmas. And I, I, I don't know why, I almost feel guilty about it. And then it was like the Lord whispered to me, that's because to you, Christmas is every day. And I realized it is. 
I want to sing joy to the world every day. I, I want to sing and praise the, the Savior who came every day. I, I don't have to save it up to Christmas and then be excited about the news. I'm always excited about the news. And so when you're already experiencing joy, maybe, maybe you don't need a whole lot of extra joy. You're already there. You're already there experiencing the joy. I, I have joy. I don't have an extra joy at Christmas because I have been that way all year round, celebrating and enjoying what God has given me in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer said, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking for the source of our joy and delight. Do they do that to you? Do people come to you and say, why why are you so happy? See, I, I think there's a problem today, and there's a lot of Christians who are very grumpy and negative and judgmental, and that's not attractive. People are drawn to radiant joy. I know this because that, that was part of how I became a Christian. One of the things my mother did, uh, my mother's funerals next Saturday, we're flying back this week to go and to uh, say goodbye to her body. But one of the things my mother did when we were very young, she used to pray with us at night, used to um, read Bible stories to us, and she'd encourage us to go to church. When I was in high school, she urged me to try out our church youth group. I wasn't that interested, but some of my friends from high school went, and I decided to give it a try. Well, at that time, there was a man named Larry who became the youth leader. Just that summer before, he'd come to Colorado, and he found Jesus. And when he came back home, the the youth group, which had a different leader, was heading on a trip to the Smoky Mountains and asked him to be the bus driver. He, he drove bus for the local high school, so he drove the church bus down to the mountains. And when they came back, uh, the youth leader uh, resigned. And so the church came to him and said, would you like to be the new youth leader? Now, he had no training. He'd only been a Christian a short time, but he said, sure. For $100 a month, he became our youth leader. And one of the things I admired about this man, Larry, is that he was always smiling. And his eyes... I tell you not, they twinkled. You looked at him, and it's like the light bounced off his eyes, and, and, and you could see his smile, and I went, man, he just is happy all the time. There's this joy that's flowing from him. He was just uh, probably about six or eight years older than me, and I just sent him a message yesterday to see how he's doing, see if we could get together when I come back to Wisconsin this week. And he still is leading youth group. Right. He's still leading. This time he's with uh, Youth for Christ. And he takes kids on trips, and he still has this joy of the Lord that's flowing from him. And I, it's, it's magnetic. It's, it draws you. It's why people came from all over to, to hear of Jesus. People would, would skip meals to walk around a lake to hear him one more time, maybe to get a, see a miracle, a, see him turn fish into uh, uh, and loaves and multiply them. The deaf and the the dumb and the lame and the demon-possessed were healed by him and the joy they felt and the praise they gave to Jesus. The, the tax collectors and prostitutes ran to him. But not everybody got joyful around Jesus. The highly religious who had things figured out got very upset. They didn't like him. They were angry with Jesus. See, joy should be common in the life of the follower. In fact, it should, should carry with us. It shouldn't diminish over time. When Paul wrote from prison, facing the prospect of possible execution, he wrote to a church in Philippi and explained to them that I might die. This could be the end, but, but hopefully I'll live. Hopefully I'll be able to stay here longer with you. And he says, I'm actually convinced that that's what's going to happen. I'm convinced of this, he says in Philippians 1.25. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He says, I want to see you keep growing, and along with that growth will come joy. 
Joy should come with spiritual growth. We shouldn't become crabbier the longer we're with the Lord. Some of us seem to be that way. We get crabby, we get older, and, and our kids look at us, and, and we don't radiate the joy, but we should. We should radiate the joy. It should follow with us all through our lives, all the way to the very end, to the time we stand before the Lord. See, some of us are, are fearful that day, I may stand before the Lord, but there shouldn't be fear in the heart of the believer. In the book of Jude, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with what? Great joy. When you are walking with the Lord, there is not fear. Your sins have been forgiven. They're washed away. And there is joy because it's a homecoming for you. And I believe people like my mother who follow Jesus don't fear death. They don't fear what's beyond death. They enjoy life. But they also are comfortable knowing that sin has been overcome, the grave is defeated, and joy will be eternal after that. Joy is the message. God wants us to be happy forever. So how do I find that joy? It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, There's a lot of places we find momentary joy. Julie and I love to watch those 30-minute sitcoms. I'll just confess, we get a real kick out of it, uh, of watching uh, Last Man Standing or or, uh, The Big Bang Theory. Or there's a number of shows we watch that just, they make us laugh. And it, it just, it feels good in the body to, to laugh at life, to not take things too seriously. We also like um, jokes. Now, some of us like jokes better than others. Some of us in meetings with, with Barry Dodson will hear the latest joke. And some might label them dad jokes because dads like these. I know that because my kids groan when I tell them. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? So I need to share with you. A few dad jokes, okay? Did you hear about the guy awarded uh, for starting the knock-knock jokes? He got the Nobel Prize. See? Dad, you're loving it, aren't you? Would-be dad, you're getting there. Ladies, just please tolerate this for a little bit longer. I'm reading a book on the history of adhesives, and I just can't put it down. I thought about going on the cashew diet, but that's just nuts. (laughs) My wife told me to stop acting like a flamingo, so I had to put my foot down. (laughs) Jokes about German sausages. Now, they're the worst. (laughs) Elevators bother me, so I'm going to start taking steps to avoid them. I went to a zoo and saw a baguette. In a cage. The zookeeper said it was bred in captivity. (laughs) A friend asked me, what rhymes with orange? I said, no, it doesn't. (laughs) Uh, A bike in town keeps running me over. It's a vicious cycle. It may be my favorite. We should ban prepackaged shredded cheese. Make America great again. (laughs) I'm a dad. I'm laughing, okay? We need some comic relief now and then, but God wants us to have joy, not just momentarily, but forever. Listen again to the angels or the angels speaking to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for... 
Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the good news of great joy is tied to a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago. The good news of great joy is connected to Jesus. And that's where the, the joy is found. It's found in relationship with Jesus. Jesus was born. Jesus lived his life. Jesus brought joy to people. Even when Jesus was in the womb, he brought joy to people. Remember when, when Mary was pregnant and she went to see her cousin Elizabeth? She walks in the house, and Elizabeth is further along in her pregnancy, and Elizabeth goes, whoo! The baby in me just leaped for joy when you walked in the room or when I heard your voice. See, just being in the presence of Jesus brought joy. And we see it all through his ministry, people flocking to Jesus, coming to him. Like I said, the children drawing near to Jesus. When he entered Jerusalem for the last time, they sang hosannas to his name. Yet others wanted to kill him. And before they succeeded, Jesus called his disciples together in an upper room, and he began to teach them things they would need to know to follow close to him even when he left this earth. He told them that they were to be like branches connected to a vine, to abide in him, that they were to love one another as he had loved them. And then he told them this in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you that your joy may be complete. So your joy is incomplete. It's like you have a tank and it only goes so full. It'll never get, it'll never fill. But if you let me give you my joy, if my joy is in you, your joy will be full. Just as God gives us love, he not only models it, he shares his love with us. God puts his love in our hearts. He puts joy in our hearts. A joy, a joy beyond expression. I, I can look back to the time before I found the Lord. And I would tell you that I was a, a fairly happy kid, but there are moments where I just felt so alone. There are times I felt depressed. There are times I really want to wonder what's life about. And so I didn't have a steady joy. It was like happy and sad and all this kind of roller coaster emotions. But I have to tell you, since I've, I've found the Lord, there has been a greater level of joy in my life that uh, sometimes I can't even explain. Wake up in the morning, I say, man, what a great day. Oh, what a beautiful morning. There's a joy that bubbles up, and it's not me just kind of like psyching myself up. There really is a genuine joy and gratitude. Like I shared with you, I'm so grateful for my mother who just passed away. 92 years. She was a good mom, blessed us. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my dad. My dad wasn't a follower of Jesus. My dad was pretty rough in a lot of ways. But I'm grateful for him too. I, I have joy. Yes, life has difficulties. I've had my share of difficulties, financial burdens, relational issues, health issues, marriage, parenting issues. But in the midst of all those, there's been a steady flow of joy that comes from this relationship with the Lord. God wants us to be incredibly happy, to have joy in our relationship with him that carries us all through our lives. So how, how do we enter into that? Well, it starts, first of all, by making Jesus your Lord making Jesus Christ Lord of your life. He came to be the king and the king over your kingdom, the king over your life. And that's what it means to make Jesus Lord is I'm gonna make you the king. I'm gonna surrender, submit myself to your lordship in my life. When the apostle Paul began to minister to the Gentile audience, these are people who grew up without scriptures. They heard rumors about God, maybe heard things about this God of the Jewish people. When Paul came and said, hey, this God's for you too. 
Many began to respond and eagerly responded. It says in Acts 13, for example, and when the Gentiles heard this, heard the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Right then and there, they, they, they began to experience this joy that comes in a relationship with the Lord. They had listened to the gospel. They believed it. God came to dwell inside of them with the Holy Spirit. And with the presence of the Holy Spirit comes joy. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, all these different things? Love is first. It should be first. It's the most dominant. But second is joy. Love, joy. Joy because of the Holy Spirit. There is joy when we surrender to the Lord. And not just joy for us. There's joy for others. Family rejoice. And you know that, that Jesus said that there's rejoicing in heaven? Listen to Luke chapter 15. This is part of a series of parables that Jesus told. And he says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, people will say, see right there, it says the angels are rejoicing. And I respond by saying, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say the angels are rejoicing. It says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. So let me ask you, who's in the presence of the angels rejoicing? Who's there that the angels are saying, wow, they're getting pretty excited about this? It doesn't say the angels are rejoicing. I'm sure they are. But someone else is. It could be the people who've gone before us. It could be our grandparents and great-grandparents. It could be Moses and all these saints of old. Isn't that kind of cool thinking they're, they're, they're that attentive to us that they would rejoice over someone giving their life to Christ? But I actually think it's referring to someone else. Who else is in the presence of the angels? God. God. And God is rejoicing. And you know how I know that that's true? Because in the very next set of verses after this one is a story called the prodigal son where a man um, gets an inheritance from his father. He goes off and he wasted on prostitutes and wild living. And then he decides that, to throw his life on the father's grace. And so he comes back home and the father sees him, comes running down the road, wraps his arms around his son, puts his ring on his finger, gets shoes on his feet, puts a robe around him. And that night slaughters the fatted calf and they have a party. And you know who that father represents? Who do you think the father is in that story? God. God. God is excited. The father in heaven is, is rejoicing more than the brother, the other brother that's home. He is so excited about the lost that have come home. Picture this. What if the greatest cry in heaven, the greatest shout of joy in heaven when you gave your life to Jesus is your heavenly father. And can you imagine that voice reverberating through the heavens? My son's home! Wow. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Yeah, angels are rejoicing. Yeah, we're rejoicing. But the father is rejoicing. There's such joy when someone gives their life to Christ. Such joy everywhere. Well, I, want to, I don't have time to go through all these other ones, but let me just sit on them a little bit. Um, that joy continues when we love like Jesus. We love like Jesus. Because when Jesus told us that um, the joy would be complete, his joy would be in us, it would be complete, the very next verse says that they are to love one another as he has loved them. That when we continue to imitate Jesus in loving people, there's a joy. In fact, it's incredible that when you practice loving people, there's a there's a great joy that fills your heart. 
You know one of my greatest excitements of Christmas? I, I like getting gifts, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a gift now and then. But I love something better. I like giving gifts. I like giving. I like watching other people smile. And there's something about love that, that elevates the, love, the joy level in your own heart. Sometimes we think, I, I don't feel joy, so I'm going to build a cocoon around myself, protect myself from everyone else. And you should be doing just the opposite. Do what almost feels unnatural. Love someone else. Go be a blessing to someone else. And I'll tell you what, the joy will start to flood you again. Love like Jesus. Fulfill your mission. Fulfill your mission. See, Jesus told a parable once of a, of, uh, a business owner who went on a trip and he gave his possessions to three people. And they began to deal with um, the money that he gave them. And when the master came back, the first one said, I've doubled what you gave me. And, and the five you gave me is now ten. The one had two says, now I've got four. And of those two people, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. We've heard that before. But do you know what the next thing he says is? Now enter into the joy of your master. Matthew 25, 20. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, come with me. We're going to go celebrate together. See, when you're, when you're working beside Jesus, you share in the joy of the victory, the joy of the success. You get to share in the master's happiness. There's something that seems almost contradictory, but we should rejoice in trials, that there's actually joy found in trials, in difficult times. I know this is one of the hardest ones. I admit, even for me to say, God, thank you for the trials. But James says this, that we are to count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. Some of your Bibles will say pure joy. Consider it, consider pure joy because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. With perseverance comes maturity. But my favorite one of all is this. Um, last one, stay close to God. Just stay close to him. Psalm 1611, he, these are the words of David. In your presence there is fullness of joy. You know where the greatest amount of joy is found? Being close to the Lord. Fullness of joy in your presence. In 1960, Charles Schultz, the writer of the great comic strip, Peanuts, had a panel that showed Charlie Brown asking Linus, do you think much about the future? He goes, yeah, I do. And Charlie Brown says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Linus says, outrageously happy. Now, we would probably look down on someone who says, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they would say, outrageously happy. Say, no, but get real. What about jobs? What about all these things? But you know, the more I think about it, I think it's beautiful. It's okay to want joy. In fact, our Declaration of Independence says it should be your right to pursue it. But you don't find it by chasing it. You find it by inviting the source of joy in. The source of joy in. See, fullness of joy is found in the presence of the Lord. Some of you need a jolt of joy this Christmas. And it's a tough time for you. You're going through some hurts, and maybe you're separated from a loved one, or maybe you're just in a financial position where we can't celebrate Christmas the way we'd like to. But that doesn't mean you can't have joy. Because listen to the words of the angel. Today I bring you good news of great joy. It's for everyone. Joy is your birthright. And God says you can find it you make that baby in the manger who was crucified on a cross your king. 